I'd like to start with a little story. Happened about 1996, when uh, Sandy and myself, my wife Sandy, started coming to TikTok. I had just uh, been working at the post office for three years, and I was working ahead on a day shift. So, but my days off were Monday, Tuesday. So I had to work on Saturdays. Uh, so a lot of times I wasn't able to come, but I did start coming at that point, and I took a day off. And during the week, I knew I had that Saturday coming up that I was gonna take off. During the week, on the way to work, I worked by the airport, um, I would listen to Sid Roth, Messianic Vision, on the radio. It was about 7 o'clock in the morning, well, actually 6 to 7. And uh, on the way in, I would listen to him. And he, he, came and he, he came on the radio and said something interesting about uh, North Korea. North Korea was facing a brutal winter that time in the fall. And they had contacted the missionary board right up here. Um, the Baptist Missionary Board on Monument Avenue um, to help with clothing their children with coats. Amazing. Um, why didn't they go to regular channels? It's because they said it's too much red tape to approach the American government and they didn't want to look um, foolish in front of the world stage which the American government would have made an issue out of it. So they figured they'd go to the body of Messiah, and they asked the Baptist mission boards to help. Well, when I heard that, I said, oh my God, I work at the post office. I know a lot of people <clears throat> that I work with. And I said, you know what? I'm going to make a list, and I'm going to put a, a memo out, and we'll put it on a different locations by the airport. Um, there's two spots, and Brook Road. And I put it up on the board that if you have any extra coats, I'm getting feedback here. If you have any extra coats, uh, we will be collecting them and giving them to the children of North Korea to get them through the winter. That was wonderful. I said, hey, I was real proud of myself. I came to my wife. I said, hey, what do you think about that? She said, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So as I was working and doing my job, we want a belt, conveyor belt, where the mail comes through. And we go through the mail, a finger through the mail, and make sure that uh, whether they're bundles or whether they're loose mail or whether first-class mail has to come out, you have to sort of go through it and work the mail. And um, I kept looking each day. It was about five days that I had this out there, and I put, a, I put a gurney out in the area, in my area, and there was no coats. And I'm going like, um, hmm, what's going on here? Then my friend Benjamin, who worked with me on the belt, he said, I'm going to... I'm going to bring in a coat tomorrow. I said, well, that's great. <clears throat> and I went around that afternoon. That was a Friday afternoon, and none of the places had a coat. And I was, as I was working on this belt, the Lord tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, you know, Robert, he said, I love you, but you never asked me if, I wanted, if he wanted me to do that. I said, well, it's a good, it's a good thing. He said, yeah, but not everything. It may be good, but not everything is what I want to involve in. And I said, wow. You know? He said, you need to learn to pray before you do something. You need to have structure in your life, which many of you know, I'm not the number one person with structure. 
Now you can talk to Sonia Wine, she's structured. David Wine is somewhat structured. David Haller is definitely structured, and so is Mary Haller. But the Ramoses, see, see the pants. Well, anyway, I said, hey, I don't know, Sandy, what do I do? She said, well, you know what? After service, we'll go to Tick Fight. After service, we'll call. Call Benjamin and see what, if there's anything there. We'll run out to the airport, because that was the last day, that's Saturday, and we'll get what we have. So I called them. Service was over. I blessed them. I said, you know, Lord, you know, help us in this situation. I called them, and he said, you won't believe it. The, the gurney is overflowing with coats. Amen. Amen. You know, he, he, he taught me that you have to seek the Lord first. Here at Tikvot, we operate under the principle of three pillars, which I'd like to share with you this morning, and hopefully we can get a better understanding of what, mean, what we mean by three pillars. Number one, we are a synagogue, as you can see. Signs of Jewish worship everywhere. Yeshua is central, and we walk with integrity with God and man. The idea of we being a synagogue is not something that was just dreamed up. It's an idea that actually started probably in Ezra's time, the priest. When the destruction of the temple took place and the people were dispersed, the Israelites were dispersed to Babylon. That was the concept when synagogues were implemented. And also, during the Roman Empire, was probably the largest spread of synagogues where people would come and worship and call them houses of worship. We shall see this morning on the outline of service, of our service, was very similar to the service that they had performed back then. They worshiped, they prayed, they had reading of the scriptures, and they had with an explanation of the scriptures, which we call here a drash, which Winfrey came up and explained. And then we have specific teachings or teachings of someone to come up, like myself. The leadership in these synagogues consisted of rulers, which in many instances were laymen, and their associates. Also, some of the synagogues were attended or led by Pharisees, as we see in many places of the Gospels. If we turn to Matthew, or Mark, excuse me, 5.22, we'll begin there. Mark 5.22. Here we see Okay, yeah, that's right. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, his name was Jarius. And when he saw him, he fell down before Yeshua. You see, his child was very sick. 
And he had heard that Yeshua was a healer of the sick. So he, being a humble man, sought him out <clears throat> and contacted him <clears throat> and asked that he would come and pray to heal his, his daughter. So now we see uh, an instant where healing takes place in the synagogue. I also like to look at Luke 13. We read there, uh, Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. Now he was teaching Yeshua in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. So now we have an idea of teaching taking place in the synagogues. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no ways raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, Yeshua saw her, he called to her and he said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Receive prayer being taken to release God's power and healing to the people that are present. And he laid his hands on this woman, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Amen. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus, or Yeshua, excuse me, had healed on the Sabbath. And he, and he said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and he be healed on the time, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered and reproved him and said, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath lose an ox or a donkey from the stall and lead it to, away to water? So ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan had bound for these 18 years, he loosed from this bond on, this, on the Sabbath. So this woman who had bound, been bound by Satan for 18 years received her healing on the Sabbath. Just like when we have our Mishabara prayer, we have people raise up, stand up. And we pray as a corporate prayer, as it goes out from the beamer here to, to the recipients that stood up. Yeshua, Yeshua in, this, in this account is, was teaching and is sidetracked by the women who had a spirit of infirmity, but he healed them. Here we have two illustrations of what was happening in the synagogue. Yeshua was teaching and healing as we try to attempt to do here in our congregation. Unfortunately, the synagogue ruler disagrees and is reproved for his lack of understanding of Torah. But everyone in this synagogue should have been rejoicing for her deliverance, not listening to the ruler. So we see here that the synagogue was also a place for healing, but also for teaching, so that the Torah can be interpreted correctly for the people to understand what was important. Was the Sabbath important? Was man made for the Sabbath? Or the Sabbath made for man? That answered it right there. The first century synagogues also ex expected or allowed visiting sages to speak, just like recently, or we have coming up at the end of this month. 
We have Jack Jacobs from a synagogue up in New York that's coming to speak here at Tikva. And we turn now to Acts 13. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Papos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. <clears throat> but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Poseidon, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath, and sat down. And after reading the law and the prophets, as we do here, the Torah and the Tanakh, the rulers of the synagogues sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation or encouragement for the people, say on. So they were asked in the synagogue, if you have any word, if you have any encouragement from the Lord, bring it on. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hands and said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, the God of, our of these people, Israel, chose our fathers and, ex and exalted the people when they dwelt in the land. And he goes on to give a history lesson of what had taken place. But I want to point out verse uh, 23. From this man's seed, talking about David, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up <clears throat> for Israel a savior, Yeshua Amashiach. So from this example, Paul is asked for a word of encouragement. And so he stands up and gives a short history lesson of the Jewish people. This is the diaspora, culminating with the gospel in verse 23, telling them that the resurrection of the Messiah Yeshua was as God had promised, had come and, and had, had been um, had been completed with Messiah Yeshua. Concluding, the synagogue is a place to proclaim the good news, the Besora of Messiah Yeshua's death, burial, and resurrection. This is what we do here also. And my last point in the history of the synagogues is that they were places of relevatory activity, meaning prophecies being fulfilled. And this we will look at Luke chapter 4. Luke 4, <clears throat> excuse me. And now oh, everyone's pretty familiar with this verse of scripture. And I will start verse 16. Yeah. And so Yeshua came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. And on the Sabbath day, stood up to read. So they handed him, let me get this straight. And they handed him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recovery 
of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he handed back the scroll to the attendant. In this place, or in this account, we see Yeshua reveals that the prophecy of Isaiah pertained to him. And he being full of the Ruach, HaKodesh. Hashem anointed him as Messiah of Israel, and he stood and proclaimed it before the people in his hometown in the synagogue. He was sent to heal the wounded hearted, where he does here, because he resides in the synagogue. He sets, releases the captives and those that have been captive by Satan. Recovering of sight not only to the physically blind, but to the spiritually blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of God's acceptance for all humanity. That's what he accomplished that day. Messianic synagogues are places where God moves amongst people by healing, teaching, worship, and sending those and those with words of encouragement to come and fellowship with us. Our Shabbat service closely aligns itself with what God designed during the first century when he, he knew the temple would be destroyed in 70 AD. Now I come to the centrality of Yeshua. Centralization of Yeshua means that all authority flows from him and through him. It says in the Gospel of John, without me, you can do nothing, Yeshua expresses. Yeshua is the center of Messianic Judaism. For again, it says in the Gospel, he came to his people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Without him and without his work, there is no Messianic Judaism. Yeshua does not point out the way of salvation as other religions claim, but he is the way of salvation. For in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I'd say that's pretty bold if he didn't know what he was talking about, to say that he was the center of all creation. We'll look into this a little bit further as we turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 15. Yeshua is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consists, and he is the head of the body of the ecclesia, the called out, who is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. And, he, and in all things, he may have the preeminence. So here, we see that Yeshua is supreme 
in all creation. He is the visible image of an invisible God. He gives you that picture of what God would look like if he was present, incarnate with us. He is the firstborn of humanity that was created in the womb of Miriam. He is the eternal sonship of the Father and expresses that to his people. Through him all things are held together. And he is the body, he's the head of the body of believers that in all things he may have or he may be first place in everything that is preeminence. Yeshua was sent by God as a divine person to serve as a prophet, a priest, a savior, and a king. His kingdom is not of this world, he says, but it's a kingly in heaven. We worship the king in heaven from here on earth. He is our example of leadership when we come into a synagogue, walking with the Father, as he always did the Father's will. He led a life of servitude to show those that follow we are to be servants to one another. Our lives are not our own. We were bought with a price, the price of his own life. And life is the gift of God. Come to my final point. We walk with integrity with God and man. And I'd like to turn to Proverbs 10. Ten nine. Interesting scripture here. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his way will become known. To walk with integrity means moral character and wholeness and completeness. To be secure in our walk is safely, assurance, boldly, and confidently. And to pervert is to tie a knot or distort. So I took the liberty of paraphrasing this, as you do when you have other, script, other, other Bibles that paraphrase. He who walks with moral character walks safely, assured, boldly, and confidently. But he who does not distorts his ways and will be found out. Walking with integrity is being who you are, comfortable in how God made you. Doing what you say you will do, for your word is your bond. Keeping your heart pure for out of it are the issues of life, as Proverbs 4.23 says. Matthew 12. Matthew 12. 34. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, 
the mouth speaks. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Integrity is first restored in the heart by putting on the word of God. Then your mouth will speak correctly. The word of God is put on as we read and as we study and as we recamerize. We put that word of God in our minds and in our hearts so that we may speak correctly. Integrity is essential for true happiness, for it will keep you up at night if it's not fulfilled. Psalm 32, coming to a close. Psalm 32, real quickly. Two. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. Believers are not only blessed because they are absolved of all sin, but because they are cleansed of their guile and deception. Therefore, they have the ability to be happy. To walk in, re in integrity requires honesty. Honesty recognizes challenges when they come, and they are trying to disconnect us from our motives that we live by or our standards. And the last verse I'd like to cover is 1 Peter. 1 Peter. 2, 11, 12. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles when they speak against you as evildoers. They may, by your good works, which they observe, Glorify God in the day of the return of the Lord or his visitation. Having your, your conduct honorable is our motive. Even if people speak evil of us, we maintain our good works and honesty all to the glory of God. So in conclusion, we are a synagogue worshiping in a distinctly Jewish manner where the wounded are healed the captives are released, and recovering of the spiritually blind as well as the physically, to set the oppressed free. We recognize the centrality of Yeshua, that without him, we can do nothing. And we walk integrity with each other and with God. Shabbat shalom. Amen. Thank you.